Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now I came across this term orthosomnia, which is it refers to people who are so obsessed with tracking their sleep that they actually sleep worse because it kind of lodges into their brains and it keep, the stress of it basically keeps them awake. Hello and welcome back to the Prospect Interview, where we meet some of the brightest minds of today and talk about the ideas that matter in politics, arts and society. I'm Tom Clark, editor of Prospect magazine. This week, our outgoing deputy editor, Steve Bloomfield, talks to journalist Barbara Speed about the global crisis of sleep. Or as she perceptively writes, the fake global crisis of sleep. Barbara wrote an essay for Prospect going behind this sleep industry, which is now estimated at a whopping $76 billion globally. We've all heard of headlines extolling the benefits of getting eight hours and seen ads for memory foam mattresses. Some of us have even tried taking the odd essential oil or sleeping tablet. But is the scramble to get some more shut-eye making us more exhausted than ever? This week, Barbara takes us through the shoddy science, the big business interests and the false politics that underlie that sleep industry. Barbara Speed, thanks very much for joining us. Um, let me start with, uh, with this question. How are you sleeping? <laughs> well, very variably. I've had something that I think quite a lot of people have found um, during lockdown, which is waking up earlier which actually would be a good thing because I'm really bad at waking up um, in the morning. But I don't know if it's just because of not having as much stimulation in the day. So you just simply need less sleep, but then also struggling to get to sleep at night. So I feel like it's being eroded at both ends. And as everybody else has been finding weird dreams as well. So I feel like it is something that we're all kind of experiencing in common at the moment. Um, what, what was it that first made you think this was something you wanted to explore for us? I think it's uh, it's such an interesting one because it is obviously so universal. We all sleep. You'd be in big trouble if you didn't. Um, but also it feels like recently there's been a kind of step change in the way that it's talked about and the way that it's understood in the kind of pure volume of material in the media, in books, um, in kind of the self-help realm almost, or even wellness, uh, that it felt new. So it wasn't that sleep was something that kind of happened to you and you just got on with it. It was that sleep was something you should be improving and working at and trying hard at essentially. And that felt like it was really growing. And I was interested in that idea and sort of 
what about our society society at the moment have kind of prompted that change if that makes sense that does yeah I mean I think it's and then this is partly why I think I was so taken by it as an idea it was you know from yeah there was a period maybe last year or the year before where every single podcast you listened to had an advert for some sort of mattress from a new company that was going to revolutionize the way you sleep um you know half my friends have got apps on their phones which you know work through the night right next to them uh, judging exactly how well they sleep um it's that weird thing of this it's like the idea of sleep has been commodified at the same time as there's been sort of more scientific research into into how we sleep and why we sleep yeah, definitely. And I should say, actually, that one thing that also sparked my interest was um, a previous piece I did for Prospect, actually, about tracking. Um, so I use all kinds of tracking, tracking apps for, like, alcohol and all sorts of stuff. And while I was researching that, I came across this term, orthosomnia, which is, it refers to people who are so obsessed with tracking their sleep that they actually sleep worse because it kind of lodges into their brains and it keep, the stress of it basically keeps them awake. And that, I thought, was a really interesting symbol of something where we're so invested in it that it's kind of, it's actually quite counterproductive. And I think there's something in that as well, where you were mentioning uh, all the stuff you can buy in this area now. So the the mattresses, and a lot of it's kind of come with the rise of both startup companies and also uh, sort of app-based technology. So all of these apps where you can kind of track your sleep, you can buy a new mattress that promises to improve your sleep or you can return it in six months. And that all of those things it's it's just interested me this this question of kind of who's benefiting from this why is there suddenly this kind of new demand and is it actually working is the real question because that that concept of orthosomnia and the study it's based on which is quite small but it implies that for some people it really doesn't work that it actually it kind of trips you up and gives you worse sleep than you had before which doesn't seem like a brilliant uh, outcome i guess um, is it that we were always bad at sleeping and it's now just we obsess about it more? Or do you think that actually, in some ways, the problem has got worse? I definitely think that part of the grain that led to this renewed interest in sleep is just the fact that it has been shown that screens and use of them in the evening and kind of the short attention spans that we are sort of developing as part of that, it does seem like it does interact with sleep it's not as kind of open and shut I think as some of the literature would have you believe and um, that there's a, a quite a famous sleep specialist called William Dement and he was kind of he kind of kicked off a lot of the sleep studies at Stanford in the 20th century and he watched TV before bed which I just find is a fascinating fact really because you think he knows perhaps more than anybody else alive I think he's in his late 90s now um about this subject and he's sitting there and he basically he says for some people it would really mess up your sleep pattern for others it just won't that there isn't this kind of one size fits all that you can apply that you need to kind of figure out what works for you and not get too hung up on these black and white rules but yeah I think that there is a sense that the way we live now is affecting our sleep and we probably don't know as much about that as we need to uh, but I think people are kind of sensing that and it, it, that is definitely feeding in I think to this sort of new obsession with sleep. It was interesting because that, that same expert you mentioned there was also there's a nice quote from him in, in your piece where he says that actually he doesn't have eight hours sleep himself a night and that this yeah that's the what if you ask anyone about you know what's the one thing you should make sure with your sleep is like oh, you know I must get my, my eight hours and yet, actually, the scientific basis for that is pretty thin, isn't it? 
Yeah, definitely. And what he says as well is that he actually doesn't really keep track. He doesn't even know how much he sleeps himself, which again, if we think about the way that sleep is treated in 2020, seems kind of fairly uh, outrageous, really, that this that that's not what his focus is, despite him knowing so much about the subject of sleep. Uh, but yeah, the issue of the eight hours is, is kind of one of those things that's just become what we think we know about sleep, but it, it isn't really based on anything. So the World Health Organization, I think, recommends between six and nine hours for most people. That's a massive scale. You could fall at either end of that and you could be having you know, 50% more sleep than somebody else if you had nine hours rather than six hours. Um, and nor does the NHS uh, say that you have to have eight hours of sleep. So that's kind of something, a rod we've created for our own backs, really, where it's an average. It's not necessarily a recommendation. And obviously most humans aren't the average. They'll be somewhere within you know the range so uh this that sort of and it's definitely something that's inside my head that I'm thinking right if I don't get eight hours I'll be really tired and it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy isn't it because you wake up and you're like oh well that's it um the day's ruined I'm going to be tired all day uh so it's perhaps something we need to kind of let go of a little bit one of the things I found interesting about your piece and and so much of the research into it was that there's this huge focus on the individual that it is your sleep is your responsibility and you need to find ways that you can fix this and that that firstly then ignores actually what the causes of difficult sleep might be um, be that you know your mental health or your work situation or your life situation and it also then means that there is less discussion about what are the, those broader societal issues that are leading people to have this stress which then causes a lack of sleep or you know a not so lack of sleep but a sort of broken sleep or, or unhappy sleep yeah definitely i think there are probably parallels to draw with kind of mental health in general actually and also it says something like dieting that we have this tendency as a society to latch onto something and say you're sleeping badly or you're overweight according to this clinical scale or whatever and to separate that from everything else in your life and I think with sleep in particular it's a real mistake because actually I mean if you think about how we saw sleep in you know the 18th century you'd say oh well he's having a disrupted sleep because he's upset about something you know and actually we've almost lost the idea a little bit that our sleep is related to our mental health and how relaxed we feel and how worried we are. It is our body kind of expressing some of that. It's not always that, but that, and obviously you can have physical problems like sleep, sleep apnea, which is quite different. But that this idea that you're treating the problem of the lack of sleep rather than all of the issues that might come around that. There's a good uh, book that came out this year called uh, Why We Can't Sleep by Ada Calhoun, um, which is about a kind of she describes it as a kind of midlife crisis for women and how that might manifest very differently to men. And it's interesting because it starts by her saying, I couldn't sleep. And then actually most of the book isn't anything to do with sleep. She's looking at the reasons why she had this kind of extreme anxiety around areas of her life. She had huge amounts of pressure, caring responsibilities. And it's something that she sort of identifies uh, across that group. But it was it was an interesting thing to read, really, because it's, it's saying, actually, you know, it might it's not your fault you can't sleep it's it's part of a much broader thing and it might be that you have big problems in your life that are disrupting your sleep and that 
are kind of, you know, it might be the state's problems to fix or it could be that your employer is treating you badly or something. But there's this tendency that if you kind of chuck someone a book that says 200 ways to improve your sleep, you're ignoring the way that that, that all those other life events and life pressures interact with your sleep. And it, it, it is... It does just make you think, you know, this is quite handy for someone somewhere that we're now saying. Because it not only does it that, oh, if you can sleep, that's your only problem, we'll solve that. But also, if you sleep better, you'll be more productive, you'll be more positive, you'll kind of fit into our capitalist society even better. Uh, so I thought it was an interesting trend, really. And also, as you point out in the piece, you know, the lack of sleep interacts with privilege, you know, the idea that, yeah women are twice as likely as men to try over-the-counter sleep medication, uh, that people on zero-hours contracts are more likely to uh, have poor sleep and other health problems. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, yeah, I think there's a there was an interesting study, uh, small study again, on which was a survey on universal credit and sleep and the number of people who lose sleep over financial difficulties. And, again, the idea that you, that you would say to that person, oh, your problem is that you're not sleeping – is a bit laughable really that it, it's kind of it's a symptom it's a cause it makes things worse in your life even as it's interacting with the kind of anxieties you have so it is a, a bit of a catch trying to do in that sense because it's a hard one to solve and it's not that yeah it's not that they, there is an easy solution but it needs to be seen in a kind of broader societal way I think because it, it does really cut down a lot of the time uh, in the ways that privilege does especially if you consider that most shift work is probably done not exclusively, but it probably does correlate with uh, sort of income levels um, and a bit of class in there as well, I think. Uh, you mentioned there are a couple of studies and you've, you've said that they're, whenever you've mentioned one, you've said that they're quite small. It's Despite the fact that we are now studying this more than we were before, um, do you get a sense that, that there's enough research being done into this or is it still sort of quite a, quite a, a young discipline? It's very young, actually, yeah. So it was only um, kind of about 50 years ago, really, that it was seen as uh, being... Sorry, 70 years ago, it was started to be understood as a, as a part of medicine. Before that, people weren't that interested in it. And they a big part of that, actually, was not understanding the role of sleep and what happened when you sleep. So all the things we now will have a vague grasp of, of there's parts of your sleep that are a deep sleep, you have REM, sleep there's parts of the night where you might dream and others where you might not that all of that information is actually very new uh, and it, it was kind of established from the 1950s onwards and so there is a huge amount of clinical interest in sleep now it's being researched from the mental health angle and from the physical health angle there are some quite worrying studies sort of connecting a lack of sleep with with heart problems and other health conditions but yeah we do just need to be conscious of the fact that this hasn't been a discipline for very long. I mean, if you think about coronavirus, our big problem with it is we've literally started researching it this year and to get the just the volume of studies that can confirm or uh, prove each other wrong and then you want to have kind of surveys of the literature, you can't really have all of that until a lot of research has gone into something. So we are kind of, I think we're kind of almost arriving at that point with sleep. So, I mean, there I think there were 439 studies on The Lancet last year on sleep which is like four times higher than in 2011 and it's probably the case of it being kind of in vogue as well but we just sort of need to remember and whenever you're looking at scientific studies I guess it's you, you can't necessarily take a single one as gospel and there is interesting work as well around the fact that sleep all over Europe 
operates quite differently. So something that might apply in Italy might not necessarily apply here. Sleep in the UK has been going up slightly over the past decades. In other European countries, it's been going down. Uh, so it's it's not possible, I think, to take a single picture of of a you know a sleep crisis across Europe, as has been kind of declared in some forums. I don't think it's quite as simple as that. Um, we mentioned before about ways in which some businesses and industries have sprung up to to deal with sleep or to try and help us deal with sleep. But at the same time, we've also got we've got industries, we've got companies that are you know very much aimed at trying to prevent us sleep. You know whether that is the phone in your pocket, which is well, you've got one app on there, which is you know that might be sort of helping you sleep and, and uh, testing your sleep. But you've probably got dozens more which are vying for your attention to try and keep you awake. Yeah, this is another really interesting development, I think, as well. The sort of, I guess you could call it the commodification of attention or something, uh, which other people have described much better than me. But the, the idea that our time and our attention and literally what we're looking at is now a huge value, perhaps more than ever before, to marketers who want us to look at adverts all the time, to all kinds of new technologies which require us to be looking at them on our phone or on our computer. And so... If you combine that with the fact that screen time does seem to have a detrimental effect on sleep, you do get this picture where if you're a marketer or you own a business, what you really want is to kind of claw as much time as you can out of consumers. And I think it was Netflix's CEO who said that the company's biggest competitor was sleep. So in a world where the, this market is so crowded, the things we do in our day are so many and we interact with so many brands and companies the big swathe of time that they could all try and kind of chip off at the edges of is the kind of however many hours we're sleeping at night. Uh, and so it is a sort of slightly dystopian image that uh, there is probably some people somewhere who are thinking, how can we... And, you know, you see it with the autoplay on Netflix where it goes on to the next episode. You know, we're always being encouraged to kind of go deeper, keep scrolling, stay on. I'm sure we've all kind of sat scrolling through our phones late at night, kind of unable to actually have the energy to sort of break away. Um, but it is definitely something I think that's that's having a, an effect on a lot of people. We'll leave it there. Barbara Speed, thank you very much. Thanks very much. from us thanks for joining us this week on the prospect interview if you enjoyed our podcast please do leave us a rating and a review really does help rebecca Liu is our producer goodbye stay safe and we'll see you next week planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.